Let me let me ask you a couple of questions because, or maybe one or two. I don't know. The theme was not exactly designed that came this way, but how it lines up so well with the passage we're dealing with in Jude today. Yes, we're in Jude. Um, it, it's just astounding to me that when you work things through, whether you're on one end of of a theological discussion here working this way or one end working this way, it always seems to come back to the cross. And that's amazing to me. But, you know, God demonstrates, and that word in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, is an ongoing word. God is demonstrating, 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 always demonstrating His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His forever display is a cross where his son died for us. And that's an incredible thing, not only just to, to focus upon in song and in, in study and such of that nature, but we as believers all meet together at that cross, don't we? That's our common ground, right there at the foot of the cross. Because that's where all of us needed to go in order to be saved. Have you been saved any other way but Christ? No? Anybody else have any other way of being saved than Christ? I hope by now in this church you have found that Scripture is clear. There is salvation no no other name but the man Christ Jesus. He is it. There is no other way, no other truth, no other life, and no one can come to the Father but through Him. We believe that, don't we? I think we do. I think we're absolutely convinced of it, that we, sinners as we are, come to the Lord through Jesus Christ, and He is the one who paid the price for us. Any objections to His mercy? Anybody here saying, I don't like it? I could do without it? I set you up for this next verse. Go to verse number 23. Jude 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. That's where we are in our study today. We've been on this one sermon, all right? These are the last four pages of that sermon I started three weeks ago. It speaks of three people in a hole. That's been my illustration. Three people in a hole. They all, their last names all start with a C. And it's not Courtney. The confused. The committed. And the contaminated. Those are the three described in Jude's words in verse 22 and 23. As we're walking through that, I just want to set the table just for a minute before we get into what some people think is the hardest of the three to rescue. We've talked about the confused and we've talked about the committed in the previous two weeks, but today we're talking about the contaminated. And some people would say, well, that's the hardest one, Pastor. That's the hardest one. 
I want to set this up this way. Just turn with me back a couple of pages in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We were dealing with this in Sunday school today, and if we were a little long-winded and got here a little bit behind schedule, we were having a good time studying through a tough passage. And here in 2 Peter 3, verse number 17, I brought this up several times before. I, I just want, if I can, to just concrete it in our minds to understand what we're looking at here. It says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, he's talking about false teaching, all right, if I took you through the whole book, which I did on Sunday night. If you want to catch up on that, you could catch it on our website. It's all there. But uh, in verse 17, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you, 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 listen, you, he's talking to believers, you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That's his description of a false teacher. The danger is that we as believers can be carried away by false teaching. That's a danger. And the result is that we may fall from our own steadfastness. Not salvation, but steadfastness. Our stable stand on truth and the way it shows itself in our life. We call that maturity, really. And it's possible that we can start to act immature because of false teaching. The process is this. False teaching leads to false thinking. False thinking leads to bad behavior. And if we are not doing, verse 18, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are setting ourselves up for a danger that we might hear something false, believe it, and then start to live it out. As a result, we become immature and unstable. And unstable. That's the danger that Peter was warning the church about. Because he knows as well as I think all of us in this room know it. If somebody is not growing in their faith in Christ, they are in danger of immaturity. And it shows. It shows. It ultimately shows in a, in a person's behavior. Because whatever a man thinks, so is he. Scripture says. If the thinking has changed, the behavior follows. Just like the nature Jesus described of a tree. If the inside of the tree is bad, what kind of fruit's going to come out? Bad fruit. So you say, well, what's all that got to do with this, Pastor? What's it, what's it all mean? Well, let's see. Who is the one who rescues us from sin? Jesus Christ. And how many sins did he cover of yours? Do you like that word? <laughs> That's what mercy looks like. That's what mercy looks like. We are recipients of that mercy. But it's quite possible, as Jude warns, as Peter warns, as Paul warns, as James warns, I could take you all over Scripture, they all warn us that it is quite possible for a believer to get into trouble. Who is sent to help? We are. 
That's what it's saying in Jude from verse 17 all the way to the end of verse number 23. We are the ones called to rescue because we are the ones who are built up and made mature in Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be, right? And the reason he wants us mature in Jesus Christ is so that we're strong enough to help those in need. They're in a hole. Who's going to reach down and pull them out? We're designed to be that tool. Now, next week I'm going to go even further than that because guess who is really the one doing it? It's him who is able. He is the one who is using you and using me to help a brother or a sister in Christ who have fallen from their steadfastness. (laughs) You get the picture yet? It's very important that we understand this when we go into verse number 23. Because there are three in the hole. We talked about the confused. This is a guy who has listened to false teaching, and now he's not quite too sure what he believes anymore. He's confused by it. He says, I don't know. You know, you know, you say that and they say that. How do I know who's right? And all these Is he spending time in the Word? Probably not. Because he's evaluating the message by what he's hearing from other people. And false teaching has gotten his way in there, and he is confused. He's been spun around. He doesn't know which end is up. He's right on the verge of falling or has fallen into a hole, and he's in trouble. We're supposed to help him. Show mercy on those who are doubting. That's what it says to do. And the verse says to keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Does he like that down there? Probably not. But guess what? Our job is. Don't stop. And I'll tell you a simple reason why you shouldn't stop. Because the Lord didn't stop on you, did he? So let's keep at it. It's going to be tough, I know. But that person's confused and and we can help them. So be mature and reach down. That's the essence of what he's saying. Be mature. Keep building your faith. Keep praying. Boy, do you need it when you're doing this. Keep waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ's mercy to be seen and keep yourself in the love of God. Reach down. Got it? That's the confused. We walked into the department of the committed last week. This guy's not dancing around the fire. He jumped in. Not a good place to be. But that's where he's standing today. He's committed himself to whatever that was that he had been taught. He committed himself to that, and it shows in his behavior. He's committed himself to it, and he's down in the hole too. What are we to do? Same thing. Same thing. Save. That's called deliver. Verse 23. Deliver them. Snatch them out of the fire. Grab them and pull them out. It may sound kind of even violent, because that's the word snatch, by the way. Grab them and pull them out. He's committed to something. Pull him out. Sometimes it hurts. I think the Lord Jesus Christ knows the agony of that. What it is to yank on somebody who doesn't want to come. He stood over a city one night and he cried. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chick. But you would not. And so he says, I give up. Did he? No. Uh Uh-uh. Last chapter is not written yet. He did something else. 
He went to a cross to pay for the sins so that he might redeem those people. And someday he will. And guess how they're going to be redeemed? Through the blood of Christ. He's got the big picture in mind. So many times we see the committed down there and we say, Oh, I'm done. I'm done. He's committed to it. I'm not going to help him. It's over. I walk away from this one. He's rejected me too many times. And Jesus says, keep reaching. Keep reaching. Is that hard? Oh yeah, it's hard. It may take years, but it's hard. If my son was here right now, my oldest son, he would let me tell you this story. He's told me I could use it before. He spent most of his teen years and early adult years in rebellion against the Lord. He grew up in a pastor's home. What's wrong with that? And he was very rebellious to the things of the Lord. He didn't want anything to do with them. He even called me one day when he went into the military. And boy, that's a tough place to be in rebellion to the Lord and be in the military at the same time. Some of you guys would know that. And he would call me and say, you know what? I'm reading this really good book on being an atheist. He says, there's some pretty good points here. You know how that breaks a pastor's heart, a father's heart? And we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked and it was like hitting a brick wall. It was frustrating to me. It was frustrating to me. And he'd call and he'd just talk so many things against the Word and against the Lord. And and it just went on and on and on. For many years, that was the case. We just kept praying. What else could we do? We were there waiting if he should come back, if he should look for help. And the day came. Took me by surprise. I was doing a Bible conference, of all things, in, in South Dakota. The phone rings, and there's my son on the other side. He says, Dad, I want to talk right now. I said, okay. Boy, did we weep over that phone. As he says, the Lord showed me what I've been doing. And he's done a work in my heart. And the change that day was so glorious, folks. So uplifting. I mean, I cried today thinking about it. You have loved ones who are stubborn. Guess what? The Lord is stronger than they are. Don't give up. Don't give up. I know our tendency is to say, I write them off, I walk away. I I tell people this, and some of you have even heard it from my own words. The last chapter is not written yet. Would you please keep working? Don't give up on the committed. They might be down in the hole and they may act like they like it. I can tell you one thing. They don't like it. Inside their heart, they're miserable. Don't stop reaching for them. Don't stop. Because Jesus didn't stop reaching for us. Save others, it says. Save them. Deliver them. Snatch them out of the fire. Be ready. That minute they turn, grab them and pull. Are you ready for that? That person you're praying for, that you have your heart broken over, are you ready for that? The day that they show they're ready, are you there ready too? That's the committed. And you say, Pastor, those are hard. But this next one you're going to talk about scares me to death. 
The contaminated? What about the contaminated one? This one, this one's a tough one. This is the last guy in the hole that we're looking down. You know why he's there? I honestly believe in the context. We're talking about believers that were in the church that Jude was writing to who were affected by the false teaching and this is what happened. Because Jude said, they're already in. They're already in among you. They're already among you and they're teaching all these things contrary to truth. These guys caught on. And if a false teacher's behavior is immoral, guess what the followers become? They follow the path. That's where it always goes, by the way. I'll just tell you that. Anytime you want to dissect the New Testament and figure out where does the path of a false teacher lead, it always leads to destruction. Always. Always. And usually that path is very immoral. And that's where they are. Somebody fell for it. Guess what? They need help. They need help. Jude does not say, and on some, have indifference, have resistance. On some, retaliate. On some, be disgusted. On some, show them coldness. Because they're contaminated. You didn't see those words. I know you didn't. I don't care what translation you carry today. It's not in there. It says, and on some, have mercy. Deep breath. Ready? This is the exact same word, the exact same procedure for the guy who was confused, too. The Lord didn't say, oh, this is a special case. We've got to try something different. Mercy works with everybody. And you know it. That's what he's extended to us. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. Even while we were dead in dead, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. That's his operation. His mercy. I think it's astounding. To study it, it just blows me away every time I look at it. But this is the same thing he says in verse 23 as he said in verse number 22. God didn't change his program. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. You've been given a ton of it, haven't you? And is your supply in danger of running low? No. Use it. Use it. Reach down to this guy in mercy. Let let me let me enhance it a little bit. Second person plural present active imperative. And you say, Woo, what's that? Second person plural, that means all of you. Right? Even balcony people? Yeah. All of you. All of you. All of you. That's what we should be as a church body. All of us should be first responders in spiritual things. All of us should be mature and ready to go. All of us should be ready to just bring all that together to help somebody in need. Imagine how we can overwhelm the problem if we're all charging at it with mercy. That's what we're called to do. All of us, right now, that's present tense, right now, and it means continually. Don't stop, 
Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep on showing mercy. Keep on showing mercy. Keep on showing mercy. If I'm ever going to fail and somebody points the figure at me, I hope it's because I've been too merciful. But the Word says, keep having mercy. Keep showing mercy. Keep showing mercy. Keep showing mercy. It's an active imperative. Active means you do it. You do it. It's not done for you. You do it. You do it. Each one of us is to be actively involved. Unfortunately, what it looks like for the church, and I'm not saying, I'm just, like I'm talking about Hillsdale Bible Church, I'm saying the church, big C, okay? The church as a whole, we have four people rushing in to help when there's 95 people standing outside watching. When it ought to be, every one of us has been equipped with this. Let's do it. As a whole, let's go forward. As a whole, let's actively be involved in giving of mercy. And by the way, an imperative means it's a command. It's not an option. It's not a debate. We're not going to sit around and take a vote. This is not our suggestion to us. We're to do it. Mercy has to be involved in helping those in the whole. It has to be. Because that's what took us out of the hole in the first place. We're to give mercy. And mercy must increase. It's meant to be that way. It needs to grow and grow because we are anticipating, according to the end of verse 21, what? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe it comes from Him, then don't hesitate to use it. If you're depending on your mercy, guess what? Your tank is going to run out in a hurry. It's not your mercy, it's His. Don't be afraid to, to dish it out, folks. Dish it out. You have an ample supply to share. It's His. So I bring you with the first thing I just had to say. We're responsible for the same action regardless of the nature of the one who needs help. We always segregate them. Say, well, I'll work with the confused, and somebody else could work with the committed, and, well, that contaminated, that's somebody else's department. And he says, nope, it's the same thing for all three. Same, same thing. You show mercy to the confused as well as to the contaminated. Now, there is a distinction, though. As you can see in verse 23, there is something added to the phrase, isn't there? It says, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Have fear. What, what, what's, what's have fear? What's with fear? In fear. You might have in fear. Phobos is the word. You've heard that bit word before, haven't you? Good Greek word. Phobos, we get the word what? Phobia. Yes. And you know what it means? Run. That's what it means. Put it to flight. Something scares you, you take off. You see that spider? You don't like it? Just which way you go. The opposite. I could do that with a snake any day of the week. You know what, what, what triggers in you. It puts you to flight. That's the word phobos. To put it to flight. To panic. To run. It's terror. It's something terrible. I don't want to be... 
you know, it's, it, all the alarms are going off. That's the word phobos. But it also means something else. According to Scripture, it also means respect. Now, we use respect in a lot of funny ways, but there are certain respects that I do have. I have been taught since I was very young because my dad worked for the railroad. We talked about trains and saw trains all the time. And I was taught, don't ever cross the track in front of a train. It may sound like a simple thing, but that train's a whole lot bigger than you, and it will drag you for a mile and a half before it ever stops. We were told to respect the train. And we could do that in a lot of different departments. It wasn't that I saw a train and I screamed and yelled and hid underneath the you know, dashboard of the car. But I do... Don't mess with it. Now, with that kind of concept in front of you, it's very interesting that there are particular people in the whole that when we're showing mercy on them, it comes with a particular respect for the situation you're dealing with. In the book of Galatians, a similar picture of this in chapter 6 and verse number 1. I'll read it to you. You could probably get there before me. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Yes, that's what it says, right? Restore, 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 restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. There's an element of meekness here and kindness here and mercy here. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. That's the idea of having a respect for what you're dealing with. A respect for what you're dealing with. There's some of the chemicals you guys put on the field that scares me to death. I don't know about you. But I do know you probably don't walk up to the spigot and take a drink. Why? Because you know that's dangerous. So you don't do it. I mean, that's the picture you've got here. Dealing with something that could, it could scare you to death. Working with it. So he says, well, then never mind. Don't worry about it. Let him go. Right? No. He says, keep reaching down. Keep showing mercy. Keep showing mercy. But make sure you know what you're working with. Keep showing mercy. You see the problem? Keep showing mercy. You see it? Uh Uh-huh. The same picture happened so many times in the New Testament when a leper came into the story. And Jesus and his disciples would be walking along the road and and suddenly a leper would yell, Hey, son of David, have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! And you know what lepers do and you know what they are. How many people want a leper in their home? Anybody? No lepers? Okay. Why? They're contagious. Oh, that's terrible. You can touch them and you can have the disease, right? Oh, that's terrible. We had the uh, joy this last couple of months to go up to Branson and see the newest Sight and Sound Theater production. Uh, It's on Jesus, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. If you haven't seen it, you got till the end of the year. But it's worth your time to go and watch that production. It's a live production, even a bit of a musical, but it's on the life of Jesus. And one of my favorite scenes in that whole uh, show was the day the leper came onto the stage. 
And the disciples and all the crowd started to panic. Oh, there's a leper, leper, a leper. And they're all running away and Jesus is walking toward him. And they're saying, stop, don't go near him. That's a leper, you can't touch him. And Jesus kept going. And Jesus walked up to that leper and hugged him. And everyone goes, oh, you can see it on set. It's great to see their reaction. And he hugs the guy. And then he starts to unwrap the bandages. And the guy's whole. He's been healed. Brings a, a tear to the eye. And then the part I loved. It was, it was actor's permission, if you want to call it. Whatever you want to do. Jesus left him and walked back. And he's patting every disciple on the chest. <laughs> With this big look on his face. He stood, and then he came up to John and he put both hands on his face and he knew it like this. And the whole time we're just laughing in the crowd because he thought that was comical. But Jesus was not afraid to touch the leper. He died for lepers. So many times you see the contaminated on there. We say, I can't touch that. That's a leper to me. Oh, that's terrible. The contaminants in here. Let's look at what it is. He's got defiled garments. Look at him. He's got garments polluted by the flesh. It says, we're to hate that. Does that text say that to you too? Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh? Hate? Really? We're to detest that with all we've got. We're to loathe that with all we've got. And most people say, then I'm walking away. He didn't say, loathe the leper. He didn't say, hate the contaminated Christian. He said, hate the contagion. Not the person. See it? The garments are a mess. Yes. These are garments, the tunic that they wear, that's the, the Greek word here. There's somewhat of a progression in thought if you think this through. It's the garment that's worn closest to the body. It's the one that will reflect more of what the body is with, you know, sweat and everything else. It's just that purpose, that piece of garment is not clean. It's, matter of fact, it's even worse than not clean. It's defiled. It's covered with stains. It's, it's spileto is the Greek word here. It is blemished, it's defective, it's defiled, it is stained, and it's in the perfect tense, which means you can't clean it with Tide. It doesn't come clean. It has been ruined. It, there is no hope for that garment. It is completely, completely destroyed. You can't improve it. You can't clean it up. You can't fix it. It needs removed. That garment is terrible. There's a picture like that in Zechariah. If you go to Zechariah 3 sometime, and you see the high priest. There he is, standing before the Lord, doing his thing. And his garments are filthy. The Lord says, clean that man up. Take off that dirty garment. Put on a new one. Take off that dirty turban. Put on a new one. And then... And, Zechariah has got an interesting picture about that with the high priest trying to perform his duty while wearing the most defiled garments ever. And the Lord didn't say, get rid of that high priest. He said, clean him up. 
Take off the old stuff and put on the new. You see, we do that all the time. Do you know that? Any of you have babies? Or have ever seen a baby? Probably. You ever change a diaper? Amen. I keep telling my kids they owe me a lot of money for that one. Changing a diaper. Why don't we just leave it there? They deserve it. Uh Uh-uh. You don't do that. Number one, you don't like the smell either. But you know it needs to be done. You know that guy down in the hole needs that. You know he needs that. He said, no, that's not for me. It's because of the flesh he's been defiled. That's what it says. The garment, the garment polluted by the flesh. If you want a good study on that, we've done it before, but it's in Galatians 5. And the flesh will tear you up. Because it's always defiled. It's always defiled. It's always defiled. Unfortunately, we Christians still carry that thing around with us. I'd love for it to go away. Wouldn't you? When we get to heaven, it will. We're not going to know what to do with ourselves when we get up there. Say, wow, something's different. We're going to be like Christ. No longer carry that old man with us, that old flesh. But until that's done, this is what the flesh can do. It can pollute every single time. It could contaminate every single time. It could reek to the highest degree of odor every single time. But that's what the flesh does. And when we allow it to have its way, look what it does to a person. It could take that confused and that contamin- or that con- committed and make them contaminated. But they're down in the hole either way. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? Oh, I don't like that garment. What does he say? Oh, they did it themselves. What does he say? Have mercy. Have mercy. Is that hard, folks? Oh, yeah. I don't see anywhere it says in the text, boy, this is easy. I see a challenge here. And you say, but I can't. I I just can't do that. Read verse 24 and start with the first four words. Who? Him. What? He is able. He is able. If you're looking at the contaminated and you're saying impossible, then you're not looking at it through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus doesn't look down at man and says, impossible. Matter of fact, he says, through him, nothing's impossible. We studied this this morning in Sunday school. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why we need to keep praying, folks. That's why we need to be built in the holy faith. That's why we need to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need to stay close to our God and His love. Because we're called to do dirty jobs. Dirty jobs. Hard jobs. Yes. But that's what we're called to do. To reach them. And reach them. And reach them. And reach them. We've got people that need help. Believers who can get into this very thing. 
One commentary said this, and it's so simple. No one, not even the most defiled sinner, is beyond salvation. We sang those songs this morning. You said, God's grace is wonderful. And it reached even me. Did you remember singing that this morning? Did you remember saying at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away? Did you say that? Do you believe those words? Did you say, my chains are gone? I am set free? Do you believe that? That's what Jesus does. You're just the tool in His hand. It is His job to change the contaminated. He says, just reach down and see what I can do. See what I can do. Don't be afraid, folks, to reach down for them. Don't be afraid to show mercy to others. Don't be afraid to rescue them who are in trouble. And don't be afraid to rely on Him who is able to do it. Don't stop. You hear it? Don't stop. Last chapter is not written yet. When we get into verse 24, now you know where I'm going to go. I'm going to start talking right, right here as to what is your strength to do this job. Where are you getting your wisdom to do this job? Where are you getting your hope to do this job? Now you got the sermon outline. Because that's what he's called us to do. And trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Okay, that's heavy. I know it's heavy. It's hard. Yes, it's hard. But remember, folks, every time you read these words, why did Jesus die? Why did he die? Why did he die? Let me give you one glimpse of this, and then I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse number 9. Wait, no, 2 Corinthians. No, 1 Corinthians. Where is this? Oh, 6. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Somebody messed up my notes. Listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You say, oh yeah, I know that. Oh folks, don't be too, too uh, high on your horse right now. Because guess what you were? You were, you didn't deserve it either. Do not be deceived. Neither, and I'm going to say the words, right? Public, everybody listening in the whole world, listen. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those people won't be there as that kind of person. Such Verse 11 says, we're some of you. He's talking to the Corinthians. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. 
Can God make a difference? Yes. Politics won't fix these things. Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ does. And that's the change. A person in verse number 9 or 10 can be a person in verse 11 because of Jesus. You see it? Such were some of you. But you were washed. Why did Jesus die? You were sanctified. Why did Jesus die? You were justified. Why did Jesus die? Was it not to change us forever? He could do that with anybody. This is the big, big picture that we're working on. And folks, it just grabs my heart and it squeezes it all over. I don't know about you, but boy, it hurts at times. But I'm so glad He was merciful to me. I'm glad He was merciful to you. Let's dish that out. Not with teaspoons, folks. Let's use shovels this time. Let's show mercy to our brothers and sisters in need. Heavenly Father, help us with this passage. It is a tough one. I know it's a tough one. And it calls us to do something so difficult in the Christian life. But you've trained us to do this. And you've showed us how it's done. We have a Savior who will forever be a demonstration of your love. And I thank you, Lord, for being so kind and merciful to us when we didn't deserve it. And just teach us how to show that to others, I pray. That's what we need. And you know how to work in each of our hearts here today. The questions in our minds, the challenges that we face, the experiences around us. You know every single detail about us, and there's nothing hidden from your sight. For those who wrestle with us today, Lord, be kind and patient, and yet be very determined to change hearts. Because the problem isn't always the guy in the hole. It could be the guy standing above it. Teach us, Lord, how to be like Jesus, we pray. Because we pray in his name today. And we mean it. In Jesus' name, amen.